Our Father, we've gathered once again as your people before you in the name of your Son, desiring to be taught and fed by you, desiring to be filled and led by your Spirit. Lord, you've already fed us from your Word today. We thank you for that. We thank you that your Word is abundantly um, rich, so rich, Lord, that, that we, can't, um, we can't plumb the depths of it. We, we simply want to be um, more and more uh, transformed by the power of your Word as your Holy Spirit applies that word to our hearts. So please do that. I thank you for these brothers and sisters who have taken time out of busy schedules on a Sunday afternoon. They could be doing many other things, but they're here um, to learn together as a body, as a family. So would you please help us? Would you please be our guide? Please be our teacher. Use your word powerfully in our lives, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, guys, everyone should have a handout. If you don't have one, there's some extras up here. Um, if you have already registered for this seminar, then what I'm going to do is add your name to a Google group so that I can email stuff out to everyone. I, I don't plan to flood you with resources, but I'll s try to send out kind of a follow-up after each of our sessions um, along with some resources. Okay? If you have not registered, um, when you do register, you'll get added to that Google group. Okay. Um, the other thing I'll send out to everyone as well is a tentative schedule for the seminar. Kind of lists what each topic is going to be for each week and it lists the weeks that we'll be meeting. We won't be meeting every consecutive week. For instance, next Sunday we won't be getting together because we're holding a, a youth group parents meeting, but then the Sunday after that we'll reconvene. Okay. Um, this seminar we're calling it instruments in the redeemer's hands and it's aimed at helping us learn to help others our objective is to begin developing these skills um, the understanding and the wisdom that we need to minister to people in a way that will help them grow and heal and deal with sin and suffering and along the way, as we develop those skills and understanding and wisdom, we're also going to find, in fact, we're going to see this already today, that we ourselves are very much in need of that kind of help. We are not just helpers. We are people in need of lots of help from others. So my hope is that we will be more and more, over time, a community of people who humbly come to God's Word, and together we see old truths there, but hopefully we'll see those old truths in fresh ways that enable us to, to think practically about this ministry of reconciliation that God's given us, um, that we're called to, to be a part of in other people's lives. So in a sense, um, this, this seminar is about counseling. In another sense, we could say it's about discipling. Um, I've made this point in different contexts at other times, but I don't think that there's a big difference between discipling and counseling. I think that there's a lot of overlap. A lot of what we think of as um, what is discipling? Because someone want to just kind of give us a a quick definition of what you understand discipling to be. Yes, Dan. Helping others follow Jesus. Helping others follow Jesus. Yes, I like that definition. Um, it's absolutely true. Counseling is very much the same thing. Perhaps the difference is that we're doing that in more of a crisis situation someone is seeking to be discipled they want to be helped to follow jesus but in their midst of they're in the midst of maybe a particular problem time they're suffering 
or they're struggling with sin, or they're confused. But what do they need? They need to be helped to follow Jesus. And just like if you've ever been in discipling relationships where you're seeking to help others follow Jesus, you find that you are helped as much, if not more, than the person that you're seeking to help. We want to see counseling in that same way, too. It's not a one-way street. We want to be a community of people who are helping each other follow Christ in the day-to-day conversations, in crisis periods as well. We want to develop the skills to be able to do that. And as we do that, we want to open up ourselves to also be helped, spoken truth and love to, discipled. Okay? Um, We all have different skills, obviously, and different gifts. We all have certain weaknesses and blind spots. Again, um, this goal, the goal of this, of this seminar is to, to just begin to develop the, the wisdom and the understanding and the skills that we need to, to love people well. That's basically what we're called to. to. To love people well in such a way that will lead to their sanctification and their growth into the image of Christ. That will lead to their healing, to their repentance, to their transformation. This is very much about the body of Christ growing and everyone functioning together in in wise ways and loving ways towards one another okay um a lot of what i'm going to share with you um, comes from a program that that was put out by um, an organization called ccef christian counseling and education foundation they put together a program called instruments in the redeemer's hands i'm leaning heavily on that stuff but i'm also including some other things that hopefully will be helpful as well um So today, we're going to try to just set a foundation, all right? Um, I'm going to do some teaching. We're going to look at the Bible, and then you guys are going to um, talk about some questions together in groups, okay? So we want to set a foundation. As we begin to think about our own growth and about serving as instruments in God's hands in the lives of others, we need to build a, a really firm biblical foundation for understanding people for understanding people's needs for help. And we need to have a firm foundation of understanding and how it is that people actually change. What does transformation really look like? What are humans' real needs? And how can we help meet those needs? Right. So the theme of today's session is we all need help. I think that's written at the top of your handout. All of us need help. Not just the other people in our lives. You've probably got lots of people in your life right now who need help whether they know it or not. You are one of those people. I am one of those people. All right, so um, three big questions that we want to look at today. Uh, The first two especially, the last one we're just going to broach and we'll leave it for next time. But the first question is, why do all people need help? The second question is, where does help come from? And then lastly, what kind of help do we need? So part one, let's jump into this. Why do all people need help? It's a, it's a really important question if we're going to be counselors to other people, whether it's in, um, at the workplace, in our families, in our CGs, um, in our, in our, in our, towards our spouses. If we're going to help people navigate uh, life and, and face difficulties, we need to see that as beings created in God's image, we are all made according to a particular design. Your understanding of who people are, essentially, and why people do what they do, that's going to shape the way that you think about helping them, right? 
what you understand about what people are and how they've been designed by God is going to affect the way that you try to help them. If people's problems are basically just behavioral, and our big problem basically is that I do things that I shouldn't do, then helping me just means getting me to stop doing those things and get me to do other things, right? If we're just people, if we're just organisms that respond to negative input and positive input, then helping me change is simple. Punish my bad behavior, reward me when I do good. Simple, right? But if humans are much more complex than that, and if our problems go a lot deeper than just our behavior, then helping people change is going to look very different as well. So let's look at this. Um, our need for help before the fall. Here's, here's what I want us to come away with. Every one of us needs help from other people. And this is not just because we're sinners. Fallen sinners. We needed help before sin ever entered the picture. All right? Let's look at Genesis 1, verse 26 and 28. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite anyone who wants to read that. First person who gets there, just read Genesis 1, 26 and 28. The only requirement is that you read it loudly. That's all. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Thanks, brother. Um, this is one of those passages that I think that when we open the Bible to passages like this, our eyes sometimes like glaze over. Because so many of us, we're so familiar with these words. It's like our minds go into standby when we start reading them. We feel like we already know what this means. Um, but what, what I'd like us to do is come to this passage in, in order to develop a practical philosophy for ministering to people. Um, because these words actually teach us who we are. These words teach us why we do the things that we do. God makes the first humans... And he talks to them. He blesses them. He tells them who they are and what their roles are. He gives them work to do. He tells them what he's given them, what kind of resources they have. He tells them how to use what he's given them, how to enjoy the things he's given them. In other words, God doesn't leave them to figure it all out on their own. Because people are not designed to figure out life on our own. These are perfect people in a perfect world and that they couldn't just be put down and said, all right, get to living. They needed direction. In other words, they needed help even before sin entered the world. God knew that even though Adam and Eve were perfect people in a perfect world and they were in a perfect relationship with God, they could not figure out life on their own. They could not live, listen, independent from God's counsel. They needed a counselor help from outside themselves. Notice God also gives them each other. It's not good for you to be alone. You need community. You need help from God directly, and you need people in your life who are also going to be an instrument of God in your life to help you. 
Now, they ended up not being perfect helpers to each other. They let each other down because they stopped listening to their counselor, the Lord. So they became poor counselors to each other, which I think also gives us some insight into how we should help one another, right? The more we're listening to God's counsel to us, the better place we're going to be in to counsel one another. In any case, they needed help. Adam and Eve need for help was not a result of sin. The fact that you need help is not because you're a failure or a sinner. It's because you're a human and God has made you that way. There's nothing to be ashamed about. To be human is to need help outside of oneself in order to understand and live life. In isolation, we will grow confused, we will lose direction, and we will shipwreck our lives. So when you say, I'm needy, all you're saying is, I'm human. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing when a, when a community of people who gather in God's name are willing to admit that and understand that. And, and, and they start to connect with each other as needy people who want each other's shaping influence in their lives. That's an awesome thing. There's very few places where that happens. The church is one of the only places where that really can happen well. Christian families as well. When we start to admit, because I'm human, I'm unable on my own to navigate my own life. It's humbling to say that, but it's also really freeing because God doesn't expect you to navigate your life on your own. This is how God made us. Um, we receive revelation, that is, God shows us things about himself and about the world, and then we have to interpret that revelation that he gives us. But we need help to interpret revelation. Even our circumstances in our life, we will misinterpret them apart from the help of other brothers and sisters and the help of God. Something terrible happens in your life. Has any, have you ever experienced where something bad happens in your life? Very difficult. And you have trouble interpreting it. You're thinking like, what is God telling me here? What's going on? Is God against me? Does he hate me? Oh, it's because of what I did last week. He's punishing me for that. We start to come up with these like theories of what God is doing. We need other people to, wait a second. You're getting way ahead of yourself. We need someone else to come and reorient us to God's promises. Remind us of what God has said so that we stop speculating about all the possible ways that God is out to get us through these difficult circumstances we encounter. In isolation, we go off the deep end. But in a healthy community, we start to reconsider our interpretation of our surroundings and we start to think, hmm, maybe the Lord's not out to get me after all. Maybe he's lovingly teaching me truth here. Let's look at Genesis 3, verses 1 to 7. Please turn to Genesis 3, and, um, and I'll ask someone else to read from verses 1 through 7. And what we're going to... The serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will, you will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of, of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, 
and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves more wise. Thanks, man. So something happens in this passage that changes everything. For the first time in human history, we hear another voice here. Another counselor has entered the scene. But he's not a trustworthy counselor. It's Satan himself. Th- this new speaker takes the very same facts that God talked about in Genesis 1 and 2, but he gives these facts a very different interpretation. You see, he's, he's taking God's words and he's helping Adam and Eve to interpret them. But he's helping them to interpret them in a very dangerous and wrong way. And what do Adam and Eve do? They, they decide to believe the serpent's interpretation of things. They let him become their counselor. And based on his interpretation of the facts, they decide that it's wise to stop obeying God. Have you ever thought of this as a counseling session? This is Satan coming to these two individuals, helping them understand their needs and desires in a twisted, warped way, giving them evil counsel so that they stop listening to God. We live in a world where literally thousands of voices speak to us at the same time, each interpreting life and competing for our hearts. These voices tell us what to desire, what to think, what to do. These these voices, they tell us what's important and what's good and what's not good. These voices even tell us who we are. So, So as a result of the fall, the voices just multiplied. And as a result of the fall, now we're prone to ignore or disbelieve God's voice and listen to these other voices. This is why scripture, why we need scripture so badly, to to cut through the confusion and make sense out of life for us. We can all have the same experience and interpret it in many different ways, right? Um, For instance, if um, a, a professor once told me a story about how some of you might know this story, actually, because you might have taken this class as well. First, one told a story about how uh, there was an unexpected blizzard in his city, and it prevented him from going into the office that day. And so when he looked outside, he saw the snow, and it got him very upset. He thought, I have a lot to do today. How am I going to get out of this house? Who's going to clean all this up? It's a mess out there. His wife looks out the window and says, this is glorious, look how beautiful. What, what beauty, look what God's done. Everything looks white and it's glistening. And if, if my memory serves me correct, I think his kid then comes to the window, sees everything and says, no school. <laughs> he goes back to bed or he goes to play outside. You see three, same experience and yet interpreted in three very different ways. One of them interpreted it, and they're all interpreting it. There's, re- I mean, there, there, there's reality mixed in with it. They're, they're, they're all interpreting it reasonably, but they're so locked into their own perspective that it's hard for them to see it from any other perspective. 
I believe one of the reasons God put those three people in the same family is so they can hear each other's perspectives. So the guy can think, oh yeah, it is kind of beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> and, then the, and then hear his kid exclaim, I don't have to go into school, and say, hey, actually, maybe it's great that I get a day off from work today. I don't have to go into the office. They need each other's. And maybe the kid needed to hear, yeah, it is a mess out there. Maybe I need to help my dad shovel the snow. The same experience. Everyone is stuck in the same traffic every day. Some of us peacefully listen to that podcast and keep driving and we're happy to be in traffic. Maybe not happy, but we're okay with it. Others get out of their car and assault other people on the road. Or in their own minds, they assault them in their imaginations. The circumstances are the same, but the way that we respond to them is going to look different for each of us. This, this means, by the way, and this is something that we'll talk about more and we'll all talk about more later on down the road in future weeks, but this means that circumstances are not the root of our trouble. Circumstances are very important. Circumstances affect us, but they are not causative. Our circumstances never cause our problems. That is, they never cause us to respond in the way that we do. We choose or we naturally respond in the way that we do. Our response is still our response. And that's where the problem is. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Is that how you, ex- ex- how you interpret the heavens? When, when you see the, the snowy skies or rainy skies... We're all going to interpret it in some way. When you, when, we, when you see the blue skies, you say, that God is glorious. When you, get a, when you hear a good weather forecast, we're all going to interpret that same information in different ways. Some of us are going to say, oh, why is it all? Why is it? It's a beautiful day, but it's Monday. Why couldn't it be nice on Saturday or Sunday? grumble about it. Others are going to say, oh, God is so good. Same circumstances. You've seen people who have gone through similar experiences, very, very difficult experiences, whether it's loss, whether it's loss of employment or loss of a loved one, financial loss, struggle, and yet have responded in such different ways. Isn't it incredible? We don't always know how to respond to the circumstances we face. And so we need God to come to us in his word and through his people to reorient us. Not not to give us easy answers, but to help us begin to see our circumstances and and our experiences the way that God wants us to see them through through a biblical lens. So, we always needed help even before sin entered the world. Sin just means we need even more help now. It just got more complicated. It got worse. But now, I want us to look lastly at our need for help in the light of redemption. What does the gospel say about our need for help? Look at Hebrews 3. Can someone read from Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13?
But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Thank you, Becca. So this passage is essentially warning against falling away from the Lord. Right? It's a sober warning. And, and the way it describes for us falling away from the Lord is not just a single event. It's a process. It's a, we fall away from the Lord slowly, systematically, progressively. L- look at what it says. It, it says it starts out with, with evil. right? It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in you, in any of you, an evil heart. Evil means sinful, right? means sinful. It also says an unbelieving heart. What does unbelieving mean? Unbelieving means you've, you're rejecting God's word. You're, you're, you're not trusting God's, what God says anymore. You're not trusting in who God is anymore. You're, you're subtly refusing to believe what God tells you. So, so there's evil. There's already indwelling sin in our hearts. Every one of us, that evil in our hearts can lead to unbelief an unwillingness to submit to and believe what God says, to, start qu- to really start doubting his words. And then what happens next, that once, once unbelief starts to set in, the, the, leading you to fall away. Your, your heart begins to lose its moorings. And then what happens next, the verse says, then there's a hardening that happens. So there's evil in our hearts. It starts to lead to disbelief. When we give in to that disbelief, we start to really be led away and fall away from the Lord. And then what happens eventually? Our hearts become hard. So now it's not only that we don't believe what God says anymore, it's almost like we have no response at all to what God says anymore. It doesn't move us. It's crusted. This word for hardening, it's a kind of crusting over, like a, like a scab of sin that's thick and hard. It, it leaves us unresponsive to truth. No longer is there tenderness. So this is the theology of this passage. As long as sin dwells within us, we will all, to some degree or another, we're all going to suffer from spiritual blindness. We all do. It's easier for us to see. Isn't it easier for you to see sin in other people's lives than in your own life sometimes? But when it comes to ourselves... The, the, these, this, this subtle incremental movement toward evil and unbelief and, and falling away, th- this slow hardening of our hearts, it almost goes unnoticed sometimes. We don't see it happening until we get there and we think, how did I get here? And until we're home with the Lord, until our lives are over, we will always struggle with spiritual blindness. We will always need other people to help us see if we are in fact on this progressive slope towards unbelief, falling away, hardening of heart. Because we're spiritually blind in a lot of ways. And, and unlike physically blind people, we often don't even know that we're spiritually blind. That's why we need intervention. And not just intervention at crisis periods. We need people to be intervening in our lives all the time. We need people with, 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 who have been given the the the, the freedom to make observations and speak into our lives. Look at what Hebrews says in, in verse 13. It says, Exhort one another every day as long as it is, as it is called today. 
exhort. See, that's that's the that's the response. That's how we keep this steady progression towards falling away from from continuing. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This this idea of exhorting it, it means it it means repeatedly, right? It's daily. God wants to send people into our lives to help rescue us from ourselves. These people are instruments. They are means of grace. So this word exhort, um, I know we don't normally go to someone and say, you know, I have an exhortation for you or I feel the need to exhort you. If someone says that to you, you probably shut down. You're probably like, I don't know if I even want to hear this. But the, the word, it, it's, it, the Greek word is parakaleo. And and. I don't know what, how that helps you to know that, but the, what it means is, it has very different meanings. It's used sometimes to talk about encouraging, and sometimes it's used to talk about confronting. They both fall within the semantic range of that, of that word. Sometimes the intervention needs to look like a soft, kind word of encouragement. Sometimes the intervention needs to look like a kind word of confrontation. Don't we need wisdom to know which one is necessary? How often have you done, have you chosen the wrong option? How often have you confronted when God really wanted you to encourage? Or how often did you shy away from confrontation when he was really urging you towards that? Our ministry needs to be shaped by the particular person's needs at a particular moment. There is no one-size-fits-all for this kind of personal ministry discipling or counseling, whatever you want to call it. Proverbs 15.23, it puts it this way, a word in season, how good it is. A word in season. When, when the Lord brings a word to you through someone else and it's the perfect time, oh, how good that is. But how discouraging a word out of season could be, right? In Ephesians 4, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But, only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. You see, it's, it's context-sensitive, occasion-sensitive. A word that may be very good for building up in one situation may actually end up tearing down in another situation, possibly. Appropriate words. Um, I think we need to approach one another with appropriate words and with an agenda, with an agenda. Now, now, usually when we say that person has an agenda, it's usually a negative thing. Uh, they're only talking to me because they have an agenda. They want something. I think we should speak to one another with an agenda. It all depends on what the agenda is, though, right? If the agenda is mutual growth into the image of Christ, if the agenda is I want to be used by God in your life, not just, I want to see you change in these specific ways so that I will let, so you'll be easier to get along with. Not that. But if the agenda is really not my agenda, but it's God's agenda, and I'm willing to say, I want to be a help to you. I want to understand what you're going through. I don't know what transformation is going to look like. I don't know what healing is going to, is going to look like in your life. God knows. He has an agenda here. There are things that he wants to address. I want to be on board with that agenda. I want to be used to accomplish his purposes. It's a kind of open agenda. It's open to what God wants. 
we all need help and we're called to give help. In that regard, we're all in the same boat. And this means that we're called to prayerfully and thoughtfully cultivate the understanding and the wisdom and the skills to do that. We need to be growing in this, right? If this is the kind of if this kind of mutual help is going to really happen, there there are two qualities that each of us needs to have. We need to be honest and we need to be humble. I think these are two of the primary characteristics for anyone who will serve others as a counselor, discipler, as, a, as an instrument in God's hands. We need to be honest, lovingly honest with one another. With gentleness and respect, the way Alex showed us today. But we also need to cultivate a humble approachability. A humble approachability. We, we need to be willing to listen and consider when other people show us things on our own that we would not see. We need to be willing to be taught by one another. Even my people who haven't been a Christian as long as you, or maybe their lives look kind of messy too because all of our lives are messy. You might look at them and say, does this person really have anything to show me or teach me? If God's put us in community together, I guarantee you there are things that you will be able to learn and glean from this person. So we need to be humbly approachable and willing to listen, not only to the one who has the experience and the degrees and the expertise, but the one who loves us and is just wants to be used by God. So that takes us right into our second question. The first question we asked was, um, why do we all need help? All right. Um, second question, where does help come from? According to Hebrews 3, because of remaining sin, we're easily deceived and our hearts can become hard. So we need God to reorient us towards truth. And, and he uses people to do that, doesn't he? So where does help come from? Here's, here's, I want to read a quote to you, and I think it may actually be on your handout, by Paul David Tripp. He says, The Bible teaches that personal transformation takes place as our hearts are changed and our minds are renewed by the Holy Spirit. Right? So personal transformation isn't something that we engineer or we make happen. It's something, again, as Alex was talking about today, the Holy Spirit does it. He renews our minds. He changes our minds. But, here's the second part of the quote. Two instruments that the Holy Spirit uses are the Word of God and the people of God. The Word of God and the people of God. This is what the Holy Spirit takes and he uses powerfully to bring transformation. Do you believe that? The Word is an instrument of help and change. Let's look at this passage. I think it's on your, I, I think I listed it there on your handout. It's Isaiah 55, 10 to 13. Can someone read that? We're almost done here, and then we're going we're gonna to break up and, and ask some questions and discuss. But let's just read um, two more passages before we do that. Isaiah 55, 10 to 13. Whoever finds it, please go ahead. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, and receive the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, and shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I Thank you, brother. Oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. 
for you shall go out and join thee, let forth in peace the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And so the thorn shall come up the cypress, and so the rear shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make an anchor in an everlasting sign that shall not be gone. Thank you. This is a, a, a beautiful word picture of God's plan, his plan to bless us and to glorify himself through the change that his word accomplishes in us. It, it's, it's this beautiful portrait of what happens when God uses his word to bring transformation, to bring new life. It, 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 it's so good for us. It's, so, it's, it's such a blessing for us, and yet it's so glorifying for God at the same time. This is our hope every time we read the Bible to someone we love or every time someone gets up and preaches or leads a Bible study or a family devotional or a personal devotional time. This is your hope that God is really going to keep this promise that his word will never return void, that it's always going to accomplish what he sends it out to accomplish. And the long-term goal of being under the ministry of God's word for a lifetime is going to be flourishing. Maybe you don't notice it incrementally day by day, but the long haul, over the long haul, the effect is going to be, I am not who I once was. And the only thing I can say is that the Holy Spirit used God's word to transform me. But God's, God doesn't just use his word, he uses his people. He uses his people. So let's read this last passage, Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 16. Who wants to read this one? Anyone? The back row? Oh, Jenny, thanks. And you gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature in manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the love and truth, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Thank you, Jenny. So here we see that God has given us one another to help us grow into spiritual maturity. Right? Living life together in the day-to-day and also through those difficult crises, those particular seasons of suffering, struggle with sin. He's given us one another. And, and, and notice, if, if you read this carefully, that passage, you, you see the how much interdependency is, is communicated there. We're, we're part of the same body. There are intricate connections that, that maybe we don't even, maybe we take for granted. So we take both these passages together, Isaiah 55 and Ephesians 4, what do we see? We see the same thing we saw in the Garden of Eden. God gives his word and he gives people. And he says, you need both of these. He speaks to us in his word and he gives us helpers, he gives us leaders, he gives us people in our lives to counsel us. It's, God's method has never changed. 
It's been the plan from the beginning. We need a fresh understanding of what God's word says about all this. And, and that's what, what I've tried to achieve today. A, a fresh understanding from the vantage point of creation and the fall and redemption. We always needed help, even before sin. Sin just made it worse. Now, because of redemption, because of what God has done for us through Christ on the cross, that doesn't mean that now we're freed from the need for help. No, it means that now we're actually open to receive the help we really need. We have resources now that we didn't have before we came to Christ. Right? So, um, next time what we're going to ask is, is what kind of help do we really need? We're going to start looking more closely at the kind of help that we really need. Um, but, but for now, let's stop there. Um, I've listed a couple of core concepts or takeaways uh, on your handout. They are, um, and, and I've listed them in three categories, and I hope you find this helpful. These are core concepts. One of them is just an objective truth. One of them is personal, and one of them is relational. All right. Objectively, our need for help is not the result of the fall. It's the result of being a human being. Now, personally, let's. Here's another takeaway. That's a little more personal. I need. I need. You need truth from outside myself to make sense of life. You don't have the resources in and of yourself to make sense of your own life. You will stumble, you will get lost, you will hurt others in yourself. I need truth from outside myself to make sense of life. And then lastly, relationally, I need to learn how to be one of God's instruments in the lives of others. Don't we desire this? To grow in the skill and wisdom and understanding necessary to be an instrument in the lives of others. And to see God work through others and say, I was a part of that. I, God used me in some way, some small way. To bring a word in season or to, or to listen and understand in ways that have not only helped this person, but they've helped me deeply. Hebrews 10.24, I'm going to read this passage and then We'll split up into groups. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. That's that same word we saw before, parakaleo, exhorting, encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. As life goes on, and every day we get a little bit closer to Christ's return, and frankly, we get a little bit closer to death. With each day, more and more and more, we should be striving all the more to stir up one another to love and good works. We can't manufacture that. The Holy Spirit can, but he uses folks like us, and he uses his word through folks like us. So that's what we want to grow in. Um, as we go on, what we're going to see over the course of this this. Um, uh, the seminar over the next seven weeks. Um, and I know I, I did a lot of talking this time. In, in the future, I just wanted to kind of set a foundation. In the future, we'll do more kind of back and forth. Um, before you break up into groups, though, I wanted to share just this basic paradigm that we're working with. This is kind of the way we want to be understanding how to be instruments in the lives of others. Um, I've set it up here kind of as a progression, but it isn't really so much steps. 
These are things we want to be doing all of at the same time, kind of. There's a, a logical uh, um, kind of uh, progression here, certainly, but it's not like, oh yeah, oh, so, so let me try to explain. As we seek to help the people in our lives, we want to love them. And as we love them, we want to know them, understand them better. And as we know them, then we will be better equipped to be able to speak. Into, if we haven't loved and known them, how can we speak into their life? How can we speak a word in season when we have neither loved nor known them? But if we've loved them and known them, now we're in a position to start speaking truth into their lives. And then we're in a position to then help them do, to walk out the truth that we're trying to share with them. Now, again, it, there's kind of a logical progression here, but really, we never stop loving. And we never, we never get to the point where we say, oh, I know this person completely now. Now I can dispense all the wisdom. I totally understand this person now, inside out. No, we're always seeking to understand and know each other better. So if you're in a counseling relationship or a discipling relationship, you're always seeking to love. You've never loved enough. You're always seeking to better know and understand this person. And as you go along, you're seeking to speak truth into their lives and then help them to live and walk out that truth. Counseling always needs to end here at this do spot. Sometimes I think we can get to the speak part and say, I've shared truth. It's obvious. It's from the Bible. We're done. I think a lot of counseling relationships kind of short-circuit at that point. We think that because I've heard truth or because I've imparted truth, okay, now we're good. I had the kind of aha moment where God showed me something in the Word. Okay, great. Now I'm good. No, we haven't really... Um, we haven't really uh, counseled or received counsel unless we're committed to walking, doing, living out the truth that we've experienced. And often it's this doing that's the hardest part. And it's often this doing. We need to be not only willing to love and know and speak truth, but we need to be willing to stay in each other's lives long enough to help each other walk it out.